Okay, so at this time, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And today, um, Pastor Kyle's going to be preaching out of Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that bore us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, so Mike, can you just mute this for a second? Because I'm going to mute, I'm going to move it. That makes his stripes we are healed some people need to be healed this morning in more ways than one I know how often I need the healing of our Lord I feel like um too I don't know if you guys feel like this or if it's just me today I feel like everything's a little loud so can Mike can you just put everything down just a hair because this is even giving me ooh, it's even giving me a little feedback I can hear it there you go thank you is that better maybe I'll do this <laughs> All right, Isaiah chapter 53 um, is not the passage you'd expect for a Christmas service. It's a passage that you would expect when? Easter, right? Seems more appropriate for like Good Friday. If anyone is familiar at all with, with church or the Bible or have been around um, the church for a while, you'd know that this is normally a passage that's preached um, on Good Friday. I hope that this morning you can see why I'm preaching it on Christmas. And I hope I'm not going to be long today. I'm going to go 20 minutes. I hope that you can stick this through all the way to the end so that you can hear the beautiful message of Jesus Christ with us together. Um, historically, the Christian church has followed something called a liturgical calendar. It's very kind of high sounding, isn't it? Um, it's been around for over a thousand years and in various forms and used in different ways. Um, but it's been used across the spectrum of Christian denominations. The Anglicans use it, the, the Catholics use it, Lutherans, Presbyterians use it. It's really only in kind of like the evangelical church in the United States, kind of like our church, that doesn't really follow it quite as much <laughs> um, as, as the other more historic denominations might. Um, though, um, as you might notice, in our church, um, the, we've followed some of the, um, the liturgy in the liturgical calendar a little bit more than 
maybe with some independent Christian churches, which is what ours is. A liturgy is a sort of form. It's like an order. Um, how the church service is arranged. When do we sing? When do we pray? When do we stand? What are we talking about? What verses are being used? What hymns are being sung? Right? There's a certain order that goes along with a liturgy. That's what a liturgy is. <clears throat> Larger denominations created these so that it's almost like McDonald's. Uh, McDouble in Warren is going to taste the same as a McDouble in California. So if you're Catholic, you know what you're going to get if you go into a Catholic church in California or Bosnia. Does that make sense? That's a little bit like that. Please excuse me if you're Catholic, and I totally botched that, and now maybe I've offended you. <laughs> I hope not. But it's, it's similar in the sense that people want to know what they're getting when they go into church. So a sort of liturgy was created. Um, more formal liturgies have scripted prayers, um, um, a scripted sermon, um, even like a call and response. So I think you guys might be familiar with this one. Peace be with you. There you go. You just did a liturgy, right? The, litur the liturgical calendar util utilizes these forms and orders of worship depending on the time of year, too. So, for example, Holy Week celebrates Palm Sunday and Good Friday, Good Friday being the, the memory of the crucifixion of Jesus, Easter, remembering his resurrection. So at this time, at these times in the liturgical calendar, you're going to hear passages from Scripture that relate to those themes, if that makes sense. Advent has been a part of the, the church's liturgical calendar. It's a tough word to say. Liturgical calendar for about 1,500 years. Isn't that incredible? It remembers, and some people believe, even farther than that, that Advent was celebrated, but we have record of it 1,500 years ago. And Advent in particular remembers, you all know, the birth of Jesus, right? Isaiah 53, I'm, the reason I'm telling you all this is because Isaiah 53 is really like the, just the prized verse for Good Friday and not for Christmas. So what the heck am I doing with Isaiah 53 on Advent? Well, in verse 2 we see very clearly that there is a reference to Jesus Christ's birth. And it says this, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. So we have here this imagery of new life coming into the world, referencing, of course, the Messiah, that the Messiah, Israel's hope, Israel's savior, would eventually come into the world as a new life. Now, the past few weeks, we've looked at various passages from Isaiah. In particular, we read from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In the past few Sundays of Advent, we looked at various passages from Isaiah that tell us more about the coming of the Messiah, how he was to be born, and what events sort of surrounded his birth. This verse and others reveal to us how the Savior would be revealed. He wouldn't enter into the world as a strong, mature, sort of angel of light, but actually a very weak, frail baby, a new life. This Messiah, this Savior, is identified repeatedly in the Gospels as Jesus of Nazareth. So what I'm getting at here is in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ came, there was this expectation in Israel that a Savior would come. They called him the Messiah. We call, in the New Testament, they call him Christ, which is, which is just the Greek word for Messiah. Christ the Messiah is saying the same thing. 
In the Old Testament, they expected a Savior, a Messiah, a, to, to save Israel from their sins, God's people from their sin. And everyone that met the Christ child believed that he was the fulfillment of that promise to send Israel its Savior. He was indeed the Messiah. Luke chapter 2, it says, Do not be afraid, the angels are saying this, because I bring you good news. We heard this just a second ago, didn't we? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. This root out of dry ground, this baby that you're holding in your hand, Christ, Jesus, is the Christ. And this will be a sign to you, he says to the shepherds, you will find a baby, there's the root out of dry ground, a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So Christ, excuse me, Jesus was presented to the world as a baby, as the Christ, as the promised Messiah, the Savior. Isaiah chapter 53, the text that we just read, doesn't just tell us, though, that the Messiah would come as a sort of new life, as a baby. But it reveals to us why God did this, why he came. It reveals to us our great need. And it reveals to us what our great God is willing to do about our great need. You see, friends, we cannot talk about Christmas with any amount of power unless we talk about the cross. Because Christmas is just another birthday without the cross. He's just another baby without the cross. Lots of babies have been born. You see, without the cross, Jesus is just another enlightened soul like Socrates or Plato. Right? So this morning... I want to talk about this. This sermon, friends, is about you. It's about what Jesus did for you. It's about why he came to this earth. He did it for you because he loves you. He loves you. You can go home and look in the mirror and look in your own eyes and wonder, how is it that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son because he loves me? Oh, how loved you are. Do you know that? I hope by the end you will put your faith, perhaps for the first time, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you know him already as that, that your faith would be strengthened. So this morning, I want to learn about this tender shoot with you, this root out of dry ground. We're going to see three things. He's servant, Savior, and Lord. Those three things about this young baby, this child in a manger, this root out of dry ground. He came as a servant, he came as a savior, and he came as Lord. So let's look at the, the hardest one, the servant. Our text that we read is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. The reality, though, is that's just a small section of a larger poem. I didn't read the whole thing because it's, it's somewhat lengthy. Um, and verses 1 through 6 is sort of the heart of the poem. But the poem that you can find, it's called the, Ser the Servant Songs of Isaiah. There's four of them. In the book of Isaiah, this is the last one that Isaiah gives us. It's, it's poetry sort of kind of nestled in to the book of Isaiah. And the fourth servant song actually runs from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, all the way to chapter 53, verse 12. And it's a unified poem, and verses 1 through 6 is sort of the, the climax of the poem, the heart of it. <clears throat> 
Bible scholars call it, like I said, the fourth servant song because of the three that precede it. And they describe the Savior as a servant. That's why they're called servant songs. It's interesting that the Savior of Israel is in Isaiah is not described as a conquering militant hero with a lot of tanks and guns, very strong muscles, big he-man, he-man-like physique like me, right? Maybe, maybe the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, right? Like Isaiah chapter 53 is presenting not a strong, powerful soldier, but a weak, frail, beaten, suffering Lord. Isn't that interesting? He's not militant, he's not strong, he's not rich, but he's a suffering servant. When we read Isaiah, this whole, if you go home and you read this whole thing, it is hard to read. It is not easy. It's horrifying. It's brutal. And I, I don't really take delight in preaching it on, Chris, on Christmas, simply because on Christmas we want to have happy thoughts, right? We want to think about new babies and what they smell like. Right? And how fun it must have been to usher a new life into the world. That's what Christmas, the Christmas scene is, that's how it's normally presented to us. But why, friends, why did the eternal and living word of God become a baby? Why did the creator become his creation? As paradoxical as that might sound. The sobering answer is found in a part of the text, in a part of the poem that we didn't read. It's in verse 10, and this is hard. It says this, It was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Verse 12, you say, wow, Jesus' dad is pretty abusive, you might think. But how about this in verse 12? He poured out his life unto death. Who killed Jesus? Jesus presented himself as a sacrifice. Get to that more in a, late, more in a bit. Revelation chapter 13, 8 tells us that the Savior, the Messiah, was slain before the foundations of the earth. And what this is saying is the Bible teaches that God is the creator of all things. And what, is, what this is saying is that before God created anything, he knew that he would have to send his son to die for sinners because he knew that we would sin against him and we would be separate from him. So Jesus the Savior in Revelation 13 was slain before the foundations of the earth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit planned before creation to incarnate the Son, that is to make God flesh as a child for the purpose of crushing him. And I, I want to give you a little side note here because to me this is remarkable. When Mary, his mother, is told about all this, she knew all this. She knew the prophets of Isaiah. She knew that the Messiah was destined to suffer and to die. The wonder of Mary's faith is that she didn't resist any of it, but rejoiced. In Luke chapter 1, we read that famous Magnificat, right? Where she says, 
My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath regard, rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. What on earth is she thinking about? The angel just told her that her firstborn son is going to be brutally crucified, and she has the nerve to say, my soul has rejoiced in God my Savior. She willingly took on the nurture of the Savior in her womb for nine months, knowing that he was destined to be crushed, and yet she rejoiced. Friends, I can't even lose my job without leaving God, right? Without being mad at him and accusing him of all sorts of evil and injury towards me. I can't even see past the end of my own nose sometimes when suffering happens to me. But the wonder of Mary's faith is that she had a heart that rejoiced in this. A baby that would be born in humility. The suffering servant was born in this sort of humility. It says in verse 2, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. We know from Scripture that Jesus, the, the way that the Bible, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, who he is, is that he is the eternal word of God. In other words, Jesus is God in the flesh. God became man. So the first way in which the servant served us is in Philippians chapter 2. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but loved us enough to sort of forfeit his divine privileges for a little while so that he could die for us and save us. We learn in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God becomes flesh and dwells among us. So the eternal God, the Son, takes on frailty. He takes on hunger. Imagine never experiencing hunger as God all your, all, in all your existence never experiencing weakness or poverty. But Jesus comes into skin, into flesh, and he experiences hunger and limits and weakness and poverty. He's born into a modest family. They're not even rich. Good grief. At least give me a hospital to be born in. Jesus is born in humbling circumstances, but the Son of God added to his service intense suffering because he was born to suffer chapter 12 of isaiah verse 14 this is again part of the poem that we did not read just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured be that beyond that of any human being and his form was marred beyond human likeness jesus christ was beaten so badly that he didn't even look human He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, in verse 3, and rejected by man, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he didn't open his mouth. 
In Hebrew it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. In verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation, generation protested? Meaning no one stood up for him. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Though he had done no violence, there was any deceit in his mouth. The suffering servant. Imagine with me, you're Mary, on that first Christmas morning, holding the Christ child. And imagine envisioning his smooth, newly born cheek, bruised and unrecognizable. We don't want to picture our children like this, do we? Imagine her sort of picturing his infant brow, cut with a crown of thorns, his tiny little new hands pierced with spikes the size of railroad ties, his feet pierced through to a wooden post he'd be secured. Imagine looking at this little baby that you love and knowing that no one would defend him. No one would stand up for him. Because that's everything Isaiah 53 just said about him. Right? Now we might have a problem envisioning a suffering Savior. We don't want our Saviors to be weak and frail and to be people that die. We want Saviors to be strong. We want them to be victorious. We want them to be tall and handsome and outspoken. Come on, open, your, open up your mouth. You didn't do anything. Defend yourself. That's what we want our heroes to look like. We, that's what we want them to be like. We want them to come down off their crosses themselves because they have the power to do so. And you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that's what pe exactly what people told him to do. But that's not what we get in Jesus Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't respond by calling down fire from heaven, and he doesn't respond by calling a legion of angels to to appear at his right and to his left to end this injustice. He doesn't say a word, and he takes every single drop of pain and suffering. But I think I agree with that one author. His name's John Stott. He said, this is exactly the Savior that we really want deep down. The suffering Savior. He is the God we really want. Because as Stott writes, in the real world of pain, how can we worship a God who's immune from it? You see, he knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He carried a heavier cross for you. He was declared guilty of all the sins that all of us have committed simultaneously at the cross. He was sentenced to death. Isn't that amazing and sobering? So we have this divine plan before there's any earth, any stars, any animals, any humans. This plan for the eternal Son of God to be born into this world, to suffer and to die. And why? Because he loves you. Because there is something wrong with us. And I know that's not a popular message in our world today. We want to say we're fine and it's everyone else's fault. Right? There is something wrong. We're separate from God, and we need a Savior. So Jesus, the suffering servant, 
saved us through his suffering. Luke chapter 2, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is Simeon. He's seeing Christ for the first time in the Gospels. He's just a little baby. He's holding him. He says, my eyes have seen the Messiah of Isaiah 53. My eyes have seen my salvation. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's, that's basically the whole world, all the nations. That's what that means. Friends, the hard reality of life is that we are in trouble because of sin. We are separate from God because of sin. The darkness of our own hearts, the darkness around us, it is all there because we are under the curse of sin in a cursed world. And Jesus Christ took on the suffering of that curse so that we could be saved from it. So that we could know who we are, finally. Why we're here on this earth. Why God made us. What our purpose is. To know and to love him forever. For the wages of sin is death, and death is all around us. Death is in our hearts. Death is in our schools. Death is in our governments, right? It's in our families. It's all around us. But we were created to know and to love the Lord in perfect paradise. But in spite of this, we, consciously or not, love ourselves, and we love this world more than the Lord, and the consequence of this is the darkness around us and in us. But God and his eternal Son made a way for you because he loves you to return to him, to come back to him, to be forgiven, to know who you are by knowing who he is, the eternal Lord of glory, your creator, father, and even bridegroom. Wonderful news. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. I want you to notice, I'm going to read this passage. I want you to notice the, the, the back and forth of the pronoun he and our. He an hour. You ready for it? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way. But he, the Lord, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's an exchange. Our sin, our iniquity, our darkness over here, our willfulness to stay in this place in spite of the fact that God has made us and revealed himself to us. He put all of that stuff as a transfer to him, as a substitute on him. Isn't that incredible? He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, not because he's sick and sadistic, but because the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. You know what that means? Jesus the Messiah is, is, is here to make everything that's wrong with us right. Amen. That's what it means to justify, to make right. Everything that's wrong with this world, he came to make it right. And it will be one day when he returns in glory. 
You see, friends, we sing those lyrics earlier with the kids. Born to give them second birth. Did you notice that line in that song? Through the Messiah's birth and subsequent death, friends, if you come to Christ by faith as Lord and Savior, you are born again. You get a second birth. You get a new life. Wonderful. The Bible says you get eternal life. But there's more. The Messiah is servant. The Messiah is Savior. And finally, I'm almost done, the Messiah is Lord. What, what of all this? Isn't this wonderful to, to kind of think about the fact that we were, we were sort of lost over here and Jesus suffered and died for us so that we'd come to him by faith. But what of him now? Is he left in the grave? Is he left weak? Is he left suffering? Oh, no, friend. Because here's the glorious end. This is if you, you're the kind of person that you like to flip to the back of the book to see how it ends. You see, friends, the reason Mary could rejoice about her suffering that she would endure, seeing her own son crucified, is because she saw through that suffering to a glorious end. And that's what Jesus does for us, if you know him by, as your Lord and Savior. We have the unique ability as Christians to look through our suffering and see a glorious end. That God is taking us through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet we fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, Christians can look through the cross to a better end, to a glory. Let's read about it. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and he will be lifted up and he will be highly exalted for what he's done for us. Kings will shut their mouths. Oh, finally. Oh, isn't that good news? Our presidents are going to stop talking. Because the king's in the room. And he gets the last word. Because the, the, the tomb is empty. And the king is alive. So come and get the king. Friend, come and get him. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. They will see and they will understand. Finally. Oh, I get it now. That's why we're here. That's why this blue globe exists. That's why my heart beats in my stomach. Because I have a Lord and a God that loves me and wants to reconcile me to himself through Christ. That's my end. I share it with Christ's end. Listen to what it says in verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the, the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, for he bore the sin of many. The Bible says it like this in the New Testament, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. That's what Jesus gets for all this. He doesn't get perpetual, infinite pain. He gets resurrection. He gets glory. And when, friend, you come to him by through repentance of sin and faith and what he's done for you, you share in his glory with him. Not because you merit it, because it's his gift of grace to you because he loves you. Yeah. Wonderful news. Isn't that great news? Yeah. Jesus suffered, but for a little while. He suffered, but for a little while because that tomb was empty. Jesus is highly exalted. He's given a name above every name that at the name of Christ our knees will bow and our tongues confess that he is Lord. One way or another, at some point, we'll all do it. 
Well, I'll bow to him. Satan had an hour. The soldiers had an hour. The religious elite have an hour. Judas had an hour. Evil and injustice in this world has an hour. And that hour feels long to us, but not to God, because he's coming quickly. The Son is alive. He sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for those who believe in him by grace through faith. He is highly exalted. This world is his. You are his, and everything in this world is his. It's true. When the angels told the shepherds that the Savior had been born, they were able to see all the purpose of God from start to finish. And you know what those angels did? They rejoiced. Suddenly, in a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. That's what Christ gets for his suffering. Glory in the highest heaven. The Bible says, Jesus prayed for this in John 17, that they might share, that they might have the glory that I have, I had with you before the world was. Jesus shares his glory with us. Friends, I hope that we can respond to Christ like those angels did, like those shepherds did, like Mary did. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because he loves you and he bids you to come. I, th I hope that we can respond like they did, considering the beauty of God's superabounding love and grace for us. Our text reads, and we'll close with this in verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The title of this sermon is We All. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But I got that from this verse. In Hebrew, the beginning of this verse and the end of this verse is the same. We all, we all. Right? But it looks at this sort of collective from a different angle. Because in the start of this sentence, we all like sheep have gone astray. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. We've turned to our own way. All of us. No one's excluded. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of that same we all. Isn't that good news? We all have sinned, yet we all have a Savior that should you this moment trust in him will save you. I hope that you will come to him. Let's pray. Romans chapter 5, we read, we heard Daniela read, the beginning of our service God what a promise it gives you see just at the right time when we were powerless Christ died for the ungodly God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were sinners Christ died for us God we thank you for the suffering servant we thank you that he was beaten beyond human recognition, that he suffered and died and was pierced and secured to a cross and took on death, Satan, and hell and paid for our sin. And when we believe in him, he becomes our substitute. He pays our debt that we owe. And all because you love us. 
all because you're drawing men to yourself and women. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, come and get him. Oh, what are you waiting for? He's so much better than a cute girl. <laughs> Girls are great. I married one. But he's so much better. He'll fill your heart with love. He made you. He formed your hands and your eyes and your fingers and your toes. Come to him. Cry out to him this morning. Jesus, save me. Thank you for sending your son to suffer in my place so that every death I've ever known in my life will be a resurrection. And every sin that I've ever done will be put on him. Friend, if that's you, if you sense that God is turning your heart to trust him, oh, would you come and tell me? Tell someone that you came with. Don't be silent about it. God, for the rest of us, would you, if, we, if there are many here that know you already, would you help us remember the beauty of Christ and the beauty of Christmas? We love you and ask for these things, um, but you would give us help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>